missionary, you want to be a 45-second missionary, go on your Facebook or whatever streaming that we're streaming this on. I know we're streaming on Facebook. And just share the stream. Share the stream. You share the stream, you're being a missionary. We're called to reach our circles of influence. That's what God calls us, to our households. It's the Greek word oikos, and it means circles of influence. So just share the stream. I would encourage you to do that. And so we're doing a new series on prayer. Anybody know Jesus has a phone number? I don't know if you know that. Jesus has a phone number. Jeremiah 33.3 is his phone number. Call upon me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know of. We're going to do a few weeks of, um, on prayer, and we're going to break it down. And so we're all called to pray, but very few do, right? No guilt, no condemnation. Everybody's going to get quiet. Mm, yeah, oh, he's going to talk about my prayer life. Oh, no. Even fewer understand it. So one of the reasons we don't pray is we don't understand it. There's a lot of reasons why we don't pray. We're going to get into that. But one of the reasons that we don't pray is that we don't understand it. Prayer and worship and adoration are synonymous so just like worship, worship is an act of prayer. Adoration is an act of prayer. And then prayer is also a process where we're communing with the Lord and also listening to him. Prayer is an act of devotion and dependency. When you pray, you're basically saying, I don't have what it takes. Good news, you don't. <laughs> you're not created to have what it takes. None of us have what it takes. None of us. In him we live, move, and what? Have our being Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing, not some things. That's my life verse, by the way, right? I missed your self-sufficiency when I was young. I got this. I can handle this. And the Lord taught me very distinctly through a process of life itself. Life's a great teacher, and life taught me that apart from the Lord said, you, you can't do anything, Kevin. What, what, what are you trying to do? You, you think you can do this? And even the call that God puts upon your life is too great for you. It's too high for you. You can't do it. Everything, everything that God creates, it's, he's creating, and everything that God summons us to and places within our lives as far as it relates to him requires him to be involved. It's important that we know this. It's been a partnership from the foundation of the earth. You can't raise kids by yourself. And all the parents said, Amen. right. You can't do marriage by yourself. And all the married people said, that's right. You can't do life by yourself. You just can't. It's, it's impossible. I don't know how people do it without Jesus. I mean, life's hard enough, man. How, how do you do it without Jesus? So John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine. This is speaking to believers. He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain, this word remain, they use the word abide, but it literally means live. If you live in me, so you get the concept, our lives as Christians are to live within Jesus. If you live in me and I in you, fruit will come out of your life. Right? Good things will come out of your life. Amazing things will come out of your life. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. That's a blank check. Right? So how does that work? When we live in Christ and Christ lives in us, what happens is our heart and his heart become intertwined. Our heart and his heart become one. All of a sudden, the desires of your heart start to look different than what they were before. God has a purpose for you and he has a calling for you that's much higher than your own. How do you know this? Because I thought I had lots of good ideas. I thought I knew what my life should look like. I thought I had a plan. I felt like the Lord told me a plan, but his plan was simply a direction. And I was like, mm, I don't know about that. I like this direction better. But then I found that God's direction for me, he, he, he never, so the thing is, is that God, he, he does it in a diminished way. 
See, the enemy, what the devil does is he attracts you with all this stuff. Look at this. He does all the dazzle, you know, all the, we- all the bells and the whistles. The enemy puts uh, jewels on it, you know, like he-, he makes it all shiny and makes it all pretty and goes, come this way. The Lord doesn't. The Lord just kind of goes, go this way, right? So his-, his ways and his callings and his purposes in our life are always understated. His callings, his ways are not always attractive to us. Because we're not supposed to be attracted to his ways, we're supposed to be attracted to him. And so in our relationship with him, we're supposed to know that God is so beautiful and God is so wonderful that anything he asks of me is going to be beautiful and wonder. It's an act of faith is what it is. But what you'll discover is as you begin to follow the ways of the Lord, you begin to pursue the things that God puts upon your heart, that it's more powerful and more beautiful and more wonderful than you could ever imagine. It's just a fact. That's not a statement. That's not a cliche. That's a reality. Say, how do you know it's real? Because I live this, man. I live it. I live it. What I thought I didn't want is actually what I really wanted. And what I thought I wanted is not at all what I wanted. So it's, it's an interesting thing. We are to live in him. We can do nothing without him. Say it, say it with me. Jesus will not do it without me. And I cannot do it without him. God is not going to see that God's not going to act on your life unless you allow him to act on your life. He's not going to do it for you. He does it in partnership. Until we understand partnership, prayer becomes irrelevant. Because most Christians' prayers are basically asking God to do for us something either he's already done or we're asking him to do something for us that requires us to partner with him. Call upon me and I'll answer you, you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. That's a partnership. You can see it right there in the verse. In order for God to show you great and mighty things that you don't know anything about, you have to do what? You got to call on him, right? So it's like, well, I'm just waiting for God's going to show up at my door and open. I'm going to open the door and boom, there's going to be a revelation. It's not going to happen. But if you begin to call upon him and begin to commune with him and you begin to activate that, God's going to begin to show you great and mighty things that you know not of. It's a partnership. Every single thing in relationship with us is a partnership. You understand that? Because if you don't, what ends up happening, most Christians pray, play, play, pray prayers where they are absent from the process. God will say, this is the, he will tell you things and he will show you things. You say, I want God to give you money. He probably isn't going to give you money. No, he's going to give you an idea. He's going to give you a concept. He's going to give you a direction. He's going to give you wisdom. The Bible says wisdom is greater than gold itself. Understanding is greater than gold itself. And we think that Jesus is going to show up with the Reader's Digest check. You know, we got this concept all wrong. We don't understand it. And so the Lord, you're like, Lord, I want to bless. This is what I feel. I feel like called. I got a guy here. He feels like he's called. I've said a couple people. So if this is you, happy day. Welcome to the club. I have no problem with it. Come to me and say, I feel like God's called me to be a millionaire. I said, oh, yeah? Why? Why? I'm, oh, look, I'm in. I'm not denying it. I'm in. But what's your motive? What's your drive? What's the driving passion behind that desire that I want to fund the kingdom? I go, okay, you got his attention. Now you have his attention. So you want to be blessed and you want these things to happen in order that you can fulfill something that God has done. That's Deuteronomy 8.18. The Lord your God has given you the ability to obtain wealth that you may establish his covenant within the land. Every believer has a mandate upon their life to obtain wealth. Wealth of what? Wealth of wisdom, wealth of relationship, wealth of understanding, wealth of material, uh, not things, but material uh, money itself. You all have the ability to obtain it, but the ability to obtain it is not related to you. It's to establish his covenant. If you give Jesus what he's asking for, he'll pay for it and give you a tip. That's a fact. Nobody does business with God and breaks even. That's, again, that's another fact. 
I'm saying to him, well, what's your motivation? What is it that you want from the Lord? Why do you want that? What you're asking for is not a bad thing, but why do you want it? And then the second thing is, is you, you're expecting God to just, again, you're going to, so I believe God's calling on my life is to win the lottery. And I go, okay, so what are you doing to position yourself, or, or excuse me, to be a millionaire? So I'm like, what are, you doing to, what are you doing in your life to position yourself in order for God to create that channel? A, are you faithful? Are you faithful in the little things? Do you, are, you, are you operating in obedience according to God's financial calling? That's article one. Then article two, are you positioning yourself? Hey, one guy a long time ago told me, well, I'm playing the lottery, you know, that's his concept of how God was going to bless him and playing the lottery. I'm like, dude, he's not going to pay, you're not going to pay the lottery. Listen, I love Uber drivers. I thank God for the, for the gig economy because it's blessed a lot of people. But the odds of you becoming a millionaire and driving for Uber are not very high. The, the odds of you becoming a millionaire and being, and being a wage earner are not very high. We're all wage earners, Right? But you need to work for the wage and then position yourself in another way and so that there's another avenue that comes to you. If you're interested in financial blessing, I got a guy here right now. I mean, I don't know why I'm talking about money. Somebody here's like probably got a money question. So the Lord's like, answer the money question. <laughs> there's a guy here right now. And he's told me that for a while. And I just told, I told him the same thing I told you. I said, you're not going to get there being a wage earner. You got to believe God for another avenue. And he comes to me and he'll tell me. He tells me I can share a story. So I share a story. He comes to me and he tells me what he feels like God's told him to do. I'm not giving stock advice. I'm going to mention stocks, but so full disclosure, the pastor is not giving stock advice. Okay, so let's just be clear, right? <laughs> you told me. I didn't tell you anything. So this guy came to me and he said, and I said, well, you need to believe God for another vehicle. And he started and he felt like God was telling him stocks. And so he, and he had zero money, like nothing, like nickels, right? He could rub nickels together, nothing. I'm like, oh, how much you got? And he tells me. And he goes, yeah, but I want this to really be blessed. I said, you got to strike a deal with the Lord. The Lord likes to strike hands. He's like, yeah, but I'm tithing. I said, tithing is one thing. I said, tithe from that business and believe God for the increase on the business. And he's like, well, I can't because the, margin, the money's too small. I said, tell the Lord how much you want, how much you'll give. So tell the Lord that when I hit this threshold, be realistic. Don't tell him a million dollars because you're being stupid. And he's not even going to take you serious. Give him a realistic number that when you hit that threshold, you'll begin to tithe every dollar above that. And so he's doing stocks. He's like, well, how do I do it? I do, do it quarterly. Do it semi-annually. Do it whatever. Do it monthly. I don't know. Every margin, every dollar you make, you're going to tithe above that. And he comes back to me, and, I, and he tells me the number's 50000 He's like, I feel like it's 50000 I said, that's doable. I said, do you know how fast God's going to get you to 50000 I said, the issue isn't God getting you to 50000 The issue is you being faithful once you get there. He started off with like 600 bucks. He has almost $28,000 in stocks right now in a year, in a year. How is that possible? How is that possible? Is he a genius? Is he, is he the next Warren Buffett? No. He struck hands with the Lord. He hears the Lord. He obeys the Lord. He does what the Lord tells him, and God begins to open up the avenues. And the Lord will get him to that point, and once he gets him to that point, he's going to look at him and go, okay, faithfulness, faithfulness. And then I told him, I said, and then you start setting these thresholds with the Lord, and, said, and you double down. Listen, God will do, he, listen, Jesus is a businessman. I don't know if you're aware of that. He's into transactions. We, this is our father's what? What are we in? Kingdom. Kingdom, but it also starts with a B. I must be about my father's what? Right. Church isn't a business. Who told you that? Kingdom's not a business. Who told you that? It's not business as the world sees it. It's business as God declares it. You understand? So our concept of that is wrong. We have to operate from the framework of the kingdom mindset. God has no problem with it. There's no problem with it. So if you're an entrepreneur, hey, rock on. Go for it. My wife hates it when I say rock on. 
All the guys, I want all the dudes in the room to go, rock on. All right, thank you. She's like, Kevin, you're a pastor. Stop saying rock on. But I like to say rock on. I don't know. Anyway, so my, I have no filter, as you can tell. I have no filter. <laughs> so that's just the thing. Like, if you want God to do something, it's a partnership. That's the point. He's not going to do it for you. He's going to do it with you. He's going to do it with you, right? So most of our prayers are waiting. God, do this for me. God, do this for me. God, do this for me. He's like, dude, I'm not going to do it with you. Or I'm not going to do it for you. I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to do it with you, right? This is how we even react when our kids, you know, we want to go fishing with our son. We don't want to fish for our son. You understand? You guys get it. You want to do it with that person. You want to do it in relationship. God's interest is more about relationship than it is prayer. God has no problem. He is the sufficient one. He is El Shaddai. He is all sufficient. There is no resource that he lacks. And if there's a resource he lacks, you know what he told David? I'll make it. If there's something I don't have, don't worry, David. I won't ask you. I'll make it. You will be the last person I tell. There's nothing he lacks. His, his, his desire to give you his sufficiency, that's not even there. What he wants more than giving you sufficiency, he's not your bellhop and he's not your accountant. He's not your bill payer. He's your father. And he wants relationship before he wants anything else. This is, again, we got to get our mind around this concept. God will give us what we, what everything that, he des- that our hearts desire in the context of relationship. He doesn't, ding, 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 ding. Mortgages due again, Lord. Ding, ding, ding. I haven't seen you in six weeks, man. You know, what is it? Every, every, four, every month you just ring me up to pay your mortgage? And he'll do it. God will always provide for you. But his desire for you is more than just meeting your needs. His desire is relationship. His desire is fullness, not measure. Most Christians settle for measure. God's desire in your life is not measure. It's fullness. That's his desire. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. So how's that blank check work? That blank check works in concert with relationship. I start asking. All of a sudden, this word desire, this is important. When you worship God, the Bible says that God will give you the desire of your heart. It's the word sire. The Holy Spirit sires. If you want to get really technical, it means impregnate. That's what it means. God sires a desire within your heart. Where did it come from? It came from him. And God will give you what he sires within your heart. He will give birth to what he sires within your heart. You understand that? God will give you a dream. God will give you a vision. God will give you a desire. God will give you a longing. God will give you a purpose. God will give you something. He will sire within you what he will bring to pass. This is what it is. Well, I want a Mercedes, whatever. Well, you know, okay. Why do you want it? So hopefully you understand the concept. <laughs> I've got to talk fast because I... We did a little bit, we, a little over time, so, but stay with me. Everybody say, keep going, Pastor. That's right. I only need one person to encourage me. That's all I need. I only need one. And if I don't get it, the Holy Spirit will always tell me anyway. So. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy will be complete. What does he want? He wants you to have joy. How do we, how do we, how do we receive from the Lord? We receive by asking. What's the purpose of asking? Communion. What's the purpose of asking? Relationship. That's the purpose. It's that it's, that's what it's about. Philippians says, be anxious for nothing. See, here we take all of this stuff upon ourselves. We bear anxiety that we don't need to carry. 20 times in the New Testament, the Lord says, ask. There's only 26 books in the New Testament. So he's basically telling you to ask almost every single book in the scripture, he's t- in, the, in the New Testament. Be anxious for nothing. We carry anxieties because we think we have to do it ourselves. We carry anxieties because we don't know what to do. We carry anxieties because we don't know what's going to happen. 
The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but say it with me, everything. All right. With prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving. In other words, be grateful for what you have. This would be a huge step. A lot of us, before we ask for more, can we take a moment to actually be grateful for what he has given? Can we actually take a moment to honor him with thanksgiving for what he has already done? He's done something. He's done something. You're breathing. You know Jesus. That'll, that should give you glory. You have the Holy Spirit. That should give you glory. That should, get, that should give you prompt thanksgiving. God's for you. He's not against you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. He's going to work everything out. There's something in your life that you can be grateful for. This is how the Holy Spirit works. You say, Lord, what, what do you want me to be thankful for? He'll actually tell you what you'd be thankful for. This is how this communion works. What is it that you desire? What is it that I can give you thanks for? And the Lord will just begin to open up to you. Look at your life, Kevin. Because we, look at, we lose perspective. This is why we need the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth, to show us the things that we can't see. Most of us, we get blinded. But God will show you, and you're like, wow, be grateful. Be grateful. The enemy wants to show you everything that's wrong. Is there anything good? Is there anything noble? Is there anything uh, virtuous? Is there anything of good report? Think on that. Find something. My son is a challenge. We bless our son very much. I'm going to use my son this morning. And he's been very challenging. He's a young guy, and he's very strong-willed, and he's extremely lion-hearted. And I talked to him. He knows the Holy Spirit. He knows the Lord. I asked him. I said, Look, does, you don't ask the Lord about that? And he doesn't instruct you? And he said, yeah, he tells me. But then I just say, ah, I don't want to do it. And then he, he ends up in these crazy places. And I'm like, uh. But so we've been on this journey with him. Everybody said, he's coming around. That's right. And we've been on this journey with him, and then we've been praying for him. So this is going to help some of you parents in the room. And if it, and if it isn't helping you now, it will help you in the future as you raise your teenagers. Um, that we, we've been on this journey with him, and I've been and talking to the Lord and saying, Lord, I can't get through to this guy. I can't get, get through to my son. I mean, we relate, but there are certain areas I can't get through to him on anymore, and he's just wherever it is, and the Lord says, give him to me. Give him to me. And so began to just give him to the Lord. The Lord's the perfect father, and so this is part of our prayer. And my wife and I were talking, and she was like, and we were just talking in the car this morning, she's like, look what the Lord is doing. Look what the Lord is doing. Look what God is changing right? He's, he's changing a lot, you know, and, and it's like, we, but the, if you look at all of the things that he's doing, it adds up to a lot. Yeah, he's not, where he, he's not where we would love to have him. He's, you know, he's not where we would want him to be as a parent, and all of you parents, you don't want your child to be a loser, and not that my son's a loser by any stretch of the imagination, but nobody goes, hey, I want my kid to, whatever. We all want, we all want the best for our sons, right? We have ideals, we have desires, we have dreams for our children, and, you know, they're flexible, but we want our kids to be life-giving. And my son is, but we have a standard. You know, one of the things I tell my kids all the time is, rise to, would, you, would you rise to the level of your birth? Yeah? I feel like my wife and I have fought all of our lives to come out of the place that we are, set our children on a mantle, and they're doing everything in their power to go back to the place that we came out of. And I'm like, would you rise to the level of your birth, son? Rise to the level of your birth. And we've seen this change come about in his life. But if, you, if all you're looking at is the negatives, and sometimes you got to back up and say, Holy Spirit, show me what you're doing and show me what you want me to be grateful for. And he'll begin to show you. Look what I'm doing. Look where this was a year ago. Look where this is now. Look where you were five years ago. Look where you are now. Yeah, but I'm going through it. It doesn't matter. You're going to go through this faster than you went through anything else because you're going to, I'm, I'm working in you. I'm working in you. I'm changing you. This is how this stuff works. 
God will do all things. And so uh, the peace of God surpasses understanding. We take burdens upon ourselves. I was taking the burden of my son upon me, and I can't, I can't do anything. And so I have all this anxiety about my kids, you know? And I took that anxiety upon myself, and it's not my anxiety to bear. I've done everything I can. And so now I have to give it to the Lord. And we say that in all cliche and all passiveness, but I literally do. I invite the Lord. I said, Holy Spirit, do what you want to do. You can have him. I love him. I'm here. Whatever you need me to do, I'm doing it, but you need to work in his life. And it's amazing what God starts to do when you give him that. Communal experiential relationship is prayer. That's what it means. We commune with the Lord. Prayer is communion. It's not a religious act. It's communion. It's communion. He wants your heart more than he wants anything. It's what he, it's he wants your heart. God wants to show you his heart, and he wants your heart. So it's communion. And out of the communion of relationships. So here's how it works in my house. My wife wants to go on vacation. She has a march through the house telling me I would need a vacation. And I might snap to a dungeon and say, yes, ma'am. You know, and give her, the, uh, give her the thing. What really works is when she gets me alone and we're laying in bed or something. And all these little sweet nothings are going between us. And then she'll look at me and go, you know, it'd be really nice if... I could go on a vacation, and i just really like to, you know, or some, something about that. She's going to get way more response out of me, or I'm going to get way more response out of her when the intimacy or the love is being exchanged between the two of us. In other words, the heart exchange is what makes these things happen. So if you understand prayer as being even a heart exchange, it being a thing from your heart, he, he's going to help you. Jesus is more interested in relationship than he is your needs. I know God's interested in my needs. Your needs aren't his problem. He's not freaking out about your needs. You understand it? Oh my gosh. He, Mitch needs this again. Did anybody see this coming? Get the accountant angel up here right now. How did we oversee this? Do we even have the resources to meet Mitch's needs? Jesus isn't in a panic. He's not freaking out. He spins the world on his finger, right? He casts stars from his hands. He speaks and there is life. He's not interested in meeting your needs. He's saying, call upon me, invite me. Mitch, you can keep doing it if you want to. But if you invite me, do you need any help with that? No, I got it, Lord. I got it. I got it. Oh, I got this. I got this. Oh, I don't got it. I don't got it. Help me, Jesus. This is how we are. He'll help you. God will help you. But you got to ask him. you got to invite him. Lord, I don't even know, Lord. I just invite you into this circumstance. You don't even have to know what you're doing. Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know whatever you do is good, and I don't know what I'm doing. So I just invite you into this circumstance. Do whatever you want to do. That's a simple prayer. I mean, I'm putting the cookies down real low, right? We should be more sophisticated in prayer than that. Yeah, okay, but can we start here? Can we start with a simple invitation of just asking Jesus to get involved in our life? Can we start with that before we start just dictating what our prayers and... And that's all fine. You know, I, I, you know I, I do that sometimes. When I don't know what to do, I do that. When I don't know what to do, it's a prayer called exousia. It means release. Means when you don't know what to pray, you go, I have no idea. Holy Spirit, I just release your fullness into this situation. That's a prayer. Which you're activating the Lord to go into the situation. I don't have any clue what you're gonna do here. And I don't even know. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how I got here. I don't know what's going on. Holy Spirit, I just release you into this situation to work this out for my good and according to your purposes. That's a prayer. It's a simple prayer. I pray it all the time. I pray a lot of different prayers, but that, that, that's definitely one I pray. I don't know. Somebody may be having problems with the kids here. Because uh, so, I, I had a friend of mine, he said the same thing. He said, I have a problem with my kids. He's like, what do you do? I go, I'm going to tell you what I do. 
I didn't give him four points and six verses to read. And, you know, I just said, listen, this is what I do. This is what I do. I, I told him, I said, I release, because he had a daughter. I said, I, I said, this is what I would do. I re, Holy Spirit, I release the fullness of your presence into my daughter's life. I release you. It's exousia. It's actually a trans, it's a release of the spirit. It's a permissive release of the spirit. It's in the scripture. And I said, and let him do what he does. I said, Holy Spirit loves your daughter more than you do. Holy Spirit cares about her well-being more than you do. He will do for you what you cannot do. Just do it. Stop bearing the burdens. We bear these burdens and we don't have to. We don't have to. So why don't we, why don't we, uh, why don't we pray? We don't pray, number one, because we don't believe God's good. <gasps> don't you say that to me, Kevin. Don't you. If you believe God was good and you believed God would answer your prayers, you would be praying. The fact that you do not pray is a testimony that you don't believe he's going to give you what you ask for, and the other, it's a testimony that you believe that he is not going to answer your prayers. That's why you don't pray. How do you know this? Because he told me. He said, Kevin, you have a sin of unbelief. I'm like, what? I share this story all the time because it's going to help you. It's going to help you. So I was shocked and awe. What do you mean I have a sin of unbelief? What? Look at my life, Lord. Where is there no faith? Where? I live it. Jump. I jump. Do. I do. And he said, if you believe that I was going to do what I promised you to do, you would be acting differently. The fact that you do not do according to what I've told you to do, God said, this is what I'm going to do. And then I'm living my life completely out of context what he's told me over my life. He said, that tells me you have the sin of unbelief. You don't actually believe I'm going to do what I told you I would do. Because if you did, you would be acting entirely different. If you believe God would answer prayer, you'd pray. Most Christians want to pray. They don't know how, right? That's why I'm here. I'm here to help you. My name's Kevin, and I'm your friend, right? I'm here to help you. We don't believe God. We don't believe God is good. Or we have an issue of value and worth. This is another one. These are the top two. You have an issue with value and worth. You don't believe you think, well, God will answer her prayer, but he won't answer mine. You know, or God loves her, but he doesn't really love me. Or, you know, uh, you don't know what I did, pastor. You don't know who I am. You don't know all this. It doesn't matter who you are. Prayer is your inheritance. Destiny and inheritance are two different things. And prayer relates to your inheritance. And inheritance cannot be denied. The only one that can deny your inheritance is you. No one else can deny your inheritance. I didn't say your destiny. Destiny is a different world. Right? So as a believer, we're giving inheritance. It's yours. It's a bank account full of riches. A bank account full of spiritual riches, of guidance. Wisdom is yours by right of inheritance. Uh, it doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You have access to wisdom right now, and it won't be denied to you because wisdom is your inheritance. Things that belong to you by inheritance are different than destiny. Destiny is what we were praying for this morning, purpose and calling. The destiny doesn't always relate. That's, so the destiny is not guaranteed. The destiny is spoken. The destiny is directed. But inheritance belongs to you. And the only one that can deny inheritance is you. The only one. Provision is your inheritance. God will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Turnaround is your inheritance. God will work all things out to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That is an unconditional promise. That's inheritance. It has nothing to do with destiny. Inheritance is yours. It belongs to you. Spiritual gifts are yours by inheritance. We do fire starters here. People are shocked at how they can manifest spiritual gifts. I'm like, well, I can't believe I can manifest these spiritual gifts. I go, because it's yours by inheritance. All can prophesy. All can lay hands on the sick. All can. All can. All can dream dreams and see visions. 
All can be given revelation. It has nothing to do with your life or your lifestyle as a Christian. It's given to you. That is inheritance. What you become and who you are and what you fulfill in this world is your destiny. That's entirely different. We have to understand this. Your destiny, your, your inheritance, can't, the devil himself, the, the angels cannot deny you. Do you understand that? I was meditating on this verse because I'm, you know, what I do. And so I was thinking about this verse, come boldly before the throne of grace. And we come before a throne, not an altar. Important to know that. Most people come with these weeping prayers. Oh God, don't you see? I'm at the altar, Jesus. The Bible doesn't call you in prayer as a son or a daughter to come before the altar. You're commanded before the throne and the throne of your father, the one who rules righteously and decrees always and forever in your favor. Who wins? Daughter. Who wins? Son. The angels themselves cannot deny you. Do you know how powerful these angels are? I was meditating on all this stuff, and I was thinking about the throne room of God and just the different things that go on there. He has angels that are seraphim. They're on fire. These are angels that burn. They're walking around like the human torch, these angels. They're the angels that guard. They're guardian. They're warrior angels. They're around around him. He has throne bearers. He has living creatures that bear his throne, powerful beings, They cannot deny you access to the throne of your father because it's yours by right of inheritance. You understand that? Michael himself can't keep you from coming before your father. Gabriel himself can't keep you from coming before your father. And the Lord was telling me there is no more powerful spiritual being in the world other than my people. Apart from Christ, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. No one can deny you. The only body that can deny you is you. That's important for you to know. And how do we deny ourselves? We have false identities. We don't think we're worthy. Who told you that? Who told you you weren't worthy? Has Jesus ever told you you're not worthy? Raise your hand. And if you do, raise your hand. Come see me after service because we're going to pray for you, right? Has the Lord ever told you you're not worthy? No. Then everything that Jesus says is truth. And if if Jesus didn't say it because Jesus speaks truth, and if he didn't say it, then it's not true. Can we agree? Say, my circumstances say I'm not worthy. Your circumstances are not the final authority over your life. Jesus is. Who told you you're not worthy? Who told you you're not lovable? Who told you you're not acceptable? Who told you that? Seriously, what voice do you listen to that's not the voice of your father? That's not the Lord's voice. We have to listen to our voice. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are a son and daughter of the highest. You understand that? The angels, do you know when you come before and you're going to come into the spirit and you worship the Lord, they usher you. Right this way, sir. Right this way. Oh, come on. Right this way. Roll out the red carpet. Here she comes. She's got a few arrows in her. She shot out. I'm here, Lord. I've been doing it my way, but I'm here, Lord, for restoration. Lord's like, come, reclaim. Take the arrows out of her. Change her clothes. Pray, you know, clean her up. Give it to her again. Send her back out. He doesn't deny. He's like, well, let's just look at the arrows in you. You know, this is how he works, man. The, the enemy suppresses the believer with value and worth. Who told you that? If you knew how loved you were, You have no idea how loved you were. You have no idea how much he cares for you. It has nothing to do with you. Say it. Jesus loves me just because he wants to. I am loved with an everlasting love. Say it. He didn't die for the angels, but he died for me. Do you know how much that means? He didn't die for the angels. And the angels rebelled long ago, right? And he didn't die for them, but he died for you. Your value and your worth. So what keeps us from praying? (laughs) Ha, ha. What keeps me from going through this message? <laughs> we have issues with value and worth. We have resistance. You know what keeps you from praying? Your flesh. If you're looking for inspiration from you, it's not going to come. 
I'm just waiting until I feel it. As soon as I feel like praying, I'm going to pray. It's not going to come. It's not going to come. Your flesh will never compel you into spiritual things. Your flesh hates everything of the Spirit. Anybody wake up in your body, you're, you're just like, I just feel like I want to read the Word of God. Wrong answer. Okay? I feel like I want to give this parking space to this woman. Wrong answer. You're more likely to go, I feel like I'm going to flip this lady off if she takes my parking spot. That's more likely what we are. That's our flesh. In the spirit, we're kind. In the spirit, we're gracious. In ourselves, we're not. We have the access to the Holy Spirit. So in the spirit, that's where all this stuff comes from. So if you're looking in prayer and you're saying, I'm waiting for me to get an inspiration from my flesh, it's not going to come, man. You have to make a sacrifice. You have to crucify your flesh. Your flesh, the Bible says your flesh, that's your body, your mind, your will, and your emotions, war against the spirit. Yeah. So if you can get that, your body's never going to, your will probably isn't going to be there. You have to subjugate your will. Ah. Everything has to come under the authority of the spirit. This is what God wills, and so therefore I will. Your body and your flesh and your emotions, your emotions, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. I'm tired. I don't feel like it. Crucify it. Present yourselves a living sacrifice. If the flesh fights you, the motivation is never going to come. The world fights against us. You know why? Here's another reason why we don't pray. We pray and nothing happens. That's why, right? Say it with me. Reality is not truth. So you're praying, and what do you think the devil does? He manifests to you a reality that this isn't going to change. So what the enemy, you're reinforcing and you're making a spiritual transaction on earth as it is in heaven. You're praying the spirit into the natural world to transform the matter and the enemy begins to reinforce the situation against you to show you and to try to testify to you that nothing's changing. It is impossible to pray and not affect change. It is impossible to lay hands and not affect change. It's impossible. It's impossible. The devil's a liar. We're called to follow truth, not reality. We're called to walk by faith and not by Exactly. You get the picture? So that's what happens. And so we get discouraged. We're praying. The effectual fervent prayers of the righteous avail much. We pray with persistence. Say this. Persistence overcomes all resistance. The enemy will resist you, but he can only do so for a time. He doesn't have the strength in and of himself to resist you eternally. Overcoming that will come through persistence. So the enemy will discourage you. He will cause you to see things. You know, you're praying for this job or you're praying for this opportunity. You're praying for whatever it may be and it just doesn't seem like things are changing. It seems like it's getting worse because the devil wants to accuse the father. He wants to get you to believe that God's not good. He wants you to get to, so you start believing, well, God is not good because I prayed or it must not be God's will. Who told you that? Or it must be because I'm unlovable. It must be because I'm not acceptable. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. No. We pray without ceasing. <laughs> My cord's choking me here. <laughs> the enemy's like, stop praying. Stop talking about prayer. I'm no, sorry, just kidding. Then the other thing is, so then we have the devil. And the, one of the things the devil does is he puts an oppression. Your flesh resists you. The world resists you. And the enemy will put an oppression on you. You ever start to go to pray and all of a sudden you're like, <gasps> anybody? Am I here? Am I the only one? You ever start to go to church and all of a sudden you have about 50 other ideas that you should do before that one? This is what happens. Oh, you got laundry to do. Oh, you got that work project to do. Oh, you got this. The enemy will oppress you with busyness. He will oppress you with fatigue. And this is a big one. This is a big one. Hopefully I got time. 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 He oppresses you with rights of resistance and rights of denial. Yeah. So I'm going to give you this story. I was praying last night. I just tried to hear the Lord. And I felt like the Lord. So if you're singles, all the singles, put your ears up. I want you to listen to me. 
<laughs> if you're single and want to be married, put your ears up. And I heard the Lord say to me, he said to me, you have singles in the church that are praying for me to give them something holy, yet they have not repented for former relationships and actions that they have taken within those relationships. And so what happens, the way this works, everything works off of the court of heaven. You come before the Father petitioning based upon your legal right. The devil is the what? Accuser? Can I get a witness? He's still accusing you. Well, what's he accusing you with if you're not born again? He's accusing you with things that he has over you. I hold, he holds up rights of denial. I, have, I claim the right to deny that. I deny that. He does. Because she's not repented. She took a willful action. She did what she knew she wasn't supposed to do. She knew she wasn't supposed to do this, and she did it. And she has yet to take account for that, and she is used to yet to repent. Therefore, she's asking for something holy, and I claim that until the unclean is dealt with, she cannot have holy. That's <gasps> how it works. Yeah, I don't believe that. Then you just stay the same. You just stay the same. Rights of resistance, rights of denial. He has rights to deny you in prayer. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. If you've given it to him, it's broken real easy with repentance. Say, well, how do I know if it's there? Look, if you're praying for something and it's there and it's just out of reach, there's usually resistance. If you're praying and you can't get it and it keeps moving, there's rights of denial. Well, what do we do about this? I'm going to give you the clue. Ready? You don't interpret it. This is Christianity. This is the, this is the, this is the Christian dumb. This is why, listen, we're given a kingdom that's in the spirit. We're given power that's in the spirit. And we think, like Galatians, we can fulfill this faith in the natural when it's spiritually based. Foolish Galatians, do you think you can fulfill this in the, faith, in the, spirit, in the flesh when it begins in the spirit? It comes from the spirit. All of the power of God is related in the spirit. And so we have to understand spiritual things. We have to discern spiritual things. We have to understand how the spirit world works. It's your inheritance. But he claims a right to deny you. Based upon what? He uses the word of God against you. He uses your pride and your ego. And you have to repent. God requires it. So I've already repented. I love Jesus. Yeah, then why is there so much resistance in your life? Why does, why does your inheritance not manifest? Why is God, what God has promised you not come to pass? And many of we could line you all up. You feel the promise of God on you. God has given you a word, but you can't get it. You see it, and every time it goes, it moves. Every time it goes, your hand gets smacked away. You're being denied. What's it all about? And so what we do, oh, there's nothing there, there's nothing there. Oh, no, no, there's nothing there. Listen, say this with me. Repentance, come on, say it like you mean it. Repentance is not determined by me. You don't determine repentance. Here's what you do. Ready? I'm going to show you what I do. I live this stuff. I'm not, I'm not a theorist. I'm a practitioner, right? I'm not an engineer. I'm a combat general, right? My boots are on the ground. I'm moving the ball. So I'm telling you how this stuff works. You're going, to, you're going to take some time. You're going to get yourself a pad of paper. You're going to worship the Lord for a little bit. Get yourself in the spirit. And you're going to look back on your previous relationship. And you're going to say, let's just talk about what I'm talking about. There's other parts too. You know, you're going to say there's other, it could be more than relationship. But you're going to say, Holy Spirit, is there any area of this past relationships that you require repentance on? The spirit of God is only requiring repentance so that he can free you. The Holy Spirit is not requiring repentance from you because he's trying to shame you. He's calling you to repentance because the devil is accusing you. He's calling you to repentance because the enemy is holding up a right against you. And it is his will to give it to you. But he cannot until the matter is rectified. He wants to remove the enemy's right. But he can't. He can't. 
he can't. So I don't believe that. Well, okay. I'm going to, I could give you, I don't have time, but I could tell you stories. You're going to sit down with a pad of paper and you're going to, Holy Spirit, what is it about my previous relationship? And he's going to tell you, you knew the fornication was wrong and you did it anyway. So you're going to write down fornication. You know the cohabitating with that guy was wrong, but you did it anyway. You're going to write down cohabitation. You, you know, and so you're going to write down what you did and you're going to write down the willful act behind it because it's, all, it's going to be the action, but it's always going to point back to the heart. And he's going to ask you. And then you know what you're going to do? Ready? This is what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you right now. Holy Spirit, say it with me. I'm going to reinforce it. So you're going to get this little pad of paper, and you're going to say, Lord, what is it? What are the rights of resistance? Don't start working it in your head, because this is what Christians do. Oh, I think it's this, and I think it's that. You don't think it's anything. You presume nothing. You let him tell you. Understand? Like, if you want to go free, I know I'm coming across strong. You're like, oh, you're really being strong, Kevin. Because it's like, people, because it's like, this is how it works. This is the way it works, right? You have to go, where is it? And he's going to tell you, fornication. He's going to tell you, cohabitation. He's going to tell you, willful and arrogant heart. You're not going to know what that means. You're not going to have a clue what that means. But he's going to tell you what the words are. And you're going to write it down. And then you're going to ask him, Holy Spirit, give me, a, give me an acceptable prayer that will release this. And, you're going to, and he's going to start writing it. And you're going to, it's always, these three words are always important. Repent, renounce, release. You want to break covenant? We just did it here this morning. I repent, I renounce, I release. I repent, I, re- I repent for the actions or I renounce the covenants, the agreements. So you moved in with your boyfriend, right? It was a total disaster. And now you're, now you're following the Lord again and you want God to give you a holy relationship. And God is saying, you need to repent. Or the, the, spirit, the enemy is denying you and the Lord's saying you need to repent for that. Not just the action of moving in with the person, but the arrogance and the pride and the willfulness of your heart. All sin is of the heart, is it not? Yeah got two of you, all sin is of the heart, the willfulness by which you did that, the willfulness by which you conducted yourself. I repent, God, of my willful heart. I renounce my willful heart. I renounce every agreement that I ever made with my willful heart, and I sever myself from all inheritances because that's what you're getting. The the denial is the inheritance of the action, and so you're saying, I repent for the action. I renounce the covenants, the agreements that I made with the action, and I'm breaking off the inheritance which is the right of denial off of my life. I'm telling you how the kingdom operates. I'm telling you right now. I live this. My world shifts. I love repentance. I love it. Show me, Lord, because repentance is always next level. And some of you, you don't, you, you just get yourself a pad. There's the same thing with business. We could do that too. That's another story. I can't do this one, that, that one, this service. But that one I felt like God was showing me. You have people in this church that are believing me for something good, and they've yet to account for, what the, for, for the past, and the enemy is accusing them. I cannot give them because the right of accusation is true. Read Job. Read David, Old Testament. God, they, God, there was a famine because there was something that was undone. Job worshipped God in a way the enemy accused him that he worshipped him in pretense. The enemy accused him that he worshipped him in religion and not from his heart. And the Lord said, he said, and I demand the right to prove it. He's only worshiping you in pretense. He's worshiping you out of ceremony. He's not worshiping you from his heart. Strike his flesh and he'll curse you. And I demand my right to, for him to prove that. And because he had all of these accusations against Job, Job was doing all of these things ceremonially. He was just checking boxes. That's all he was. And the enemy had a right against him. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. If you want, if that, and this is, relates to something that God has promised you. If it's in front of you and you can't get it, there's a reason. And if you've noticed that, it takes me, sometimes it takes years. It took David three years to realize it was a famine. Three years it was a famine. It took him three years to figure out something's not right here. 
Why is, there no fam- why is there a famine? And the Lord said, this is undone. There's an accounting that is yet to be reconciled. Go back and reconcile the, what, what needs to be reconciled. And when David did, pff, the famine was lifted. Just a thought. You're not going to get this. This, this is, listen, I'm talking to you about high-level things. This, is, this isn't Christianity 1 plus 1 equals 2. This is, this is another level, all right? Prayer is a priority. Oh, do I have the time? Do I have the time? Do I have the time? Yes. Are you guys getting anything out of this? Okay. All right. Rock on. Who told me that? Yeah? Right on. Thank you. We're going to get a men's shirt that says rock on. Prayer's priority. Heaven and earth is designed for exchange. This is what it is. You make agreements. It's an exchange. It's how the devil brought Adam and Eve under slavery. He got them into an agreement. He got them into an agreement. That's why we have to repent and renounce agreements, covenants. You have to break those things. Heaven and earth is designed to an exchange, so it's a legal system. The courts of heaven, you guys have heard it before, but it's true. The Lord sits, and it's a legal accusation. Jesus is the defender, and the enemy is the accuser, and the Spirit of God is the administrator. God is, so let me, let's talk about the will of God. So this is what happens with prayer. We need to understand this if we're going to understand prayer. Right? What is the will of God? God has given sovereign rule of the earth to mankind. We need to understand this. He will not involve himself in this world but by prayer. Well, if God wants to do something, if God cares, why doesn't he do something about it? He has. He died on a cross. He rose again. He ascended. He sent the Holy Spirit, and he has formed a body, and he's commanded his body to go. Jesus has done something about it. It's right here, right now. But God will not involve himself in this earth without our prayers. He will not involve himself in your life without your prayers. You have sovereign authority over your life. Jesus, Jesus doesn't make you give your life to him. Even as a Christian, he doesn't make you obey him. You're not forced to obey him. You have rule over yourself. You have to, you, he doesn't make you. He will not involve himself in your life unless you invite him. The Holy Spirit does not go where he is not wanted, and he does not do what he is not asked. If you understand anything about the Spirit of God, understand those two statements. He will not be where you don't want him. You don't have to worry about it. You don't want the Spirit of God in your life? You do not have to worry about it. He won't be. He will not be where he is not wanted, and he will not do what he is not asked. Very important. So you must invite the Holy Spirit, and you must ask the Holy Spirit. The sovereign will of God. So we have these, so let's, we're going to talk about three quick things here. We have the sovereign will of God, we have the purposeful will of God, and we have the subjective will of God, and they are different. The sovereign will of God means this is what God rules. This is what he holds to himself. Not everything does God hold to himself. He's delegated it. As a Christian, you have spiritual, starts with an A, authority. That's right. You're given dominion. You're giving the kingdom, the dominion of the king is given to you. Sovereign will of God. What is that? This is what God doesn't share. He doesn't share right and wrong. We don't get to decide what's right and wrong. It's called the moral law. God alone, Jesus alone determines what's right and wrong. He doesn't share that. That's his sovereign will. His sovereign will is the times and the seasons. The epoch or the changing and the shifting of time itself is under his rule. That's another thing. The prophetic timetable as it relates to the end of days. Jesus is coming back. We don't get to vote on that either. Jesus is coming back when the Father says. That's in his time. We don't get to tell him when. We don't get to tell him if he should come back. We don't get, we don't, he's, he's returning. And the Lord is going to execute his return, and he's going to end the world as he's determined. The world is not going to end by that way of man. I hate to shock all the environmentalists out there, but the world is not going to end in an environmental disaster. How do you know? Because my Bible tells me so. The world is not going to end in, in some nuclear holocaust. How do you know? Because my Bible tells me so. 
The Bible tells us how it's going to be. Christians shouldn't be freaking out. Oh, the world's ending. The sky's falling. Read your Bible, Christian. Read your Bible. You should not be, do not, do not be fearful. Do not fear the, the, the disaster that overtakes the wicked. Do not fear the disaster because you're not the wicked. You're the righteous. God's going to take you. He's going to protect you. When the world goes down, your life goes up. You should get happy. Every time there's a natural disaster, I go, hallelujah, in the name of Jesus, because I know the church is going to rise. Every time. But we partner with the world. So when the world starts to slide, we all go, well, we're going to slide too. What if you began to believe God in the midst of all of this, that this is the greatest season of your life? You're not bound to this world, Christian. You're bound to his. So God's sovereign will, the purposeful will of God. God has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for all of you. He has a purpose. You were created on purpose with a purpose. His purposeful will. But his purposeful will is subject to his subjective will. His purpose in your life doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to come to pass. Uh, my purpose is to do this. My purpose is to do that. I'm like, that's great. You need to line your life up with that. Because that's not just going to happen. The purpose is what God wants. God's purpose is what he wants, but it's not always what happens because it's in relationship to the subjective will, which means choices, means prayer life. Your prayer affects your timeline. I don't know if you know that or not. Your prayer can shift your timeline, can accelerate it. Your, your prayer can redeem time. Your prayer can shift the atmosphere. Your prayer can shift your destiny. Your prayer can shift your reality. That's why prayer, that's why we pray, because we're praying into the purposes of God and we're bringing to pass the subjective will of God. In other words, there's certain things in this world that are a coin flip. Well, the child died. It was the will of the Lord. Who told you that? My house burned down and I lost my job. It was God's will. Who told you that? This is how stupid we are. We think everything's God's will. What lie do you believe? Who's telling you that that's God's will? It's not God's will. It's not God's will. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning. If it's not good and perfect, it didn't come from Jesus. And if you believe otherwise, you believe a lie. And you need to deal with the lie because your concept of God is wrong and it's skewed. We gotta do communion. So let me just do this one. I'm gonna skip down a little bit. I'm gonna do prayer as a privilege. So there's types of prayer. Let me just give you types of prayer. We're gonna talk about how-tos over the next couple weeks. I'm going to do these two little sections. I hope to. So there's the prayer of adoration. What's adoration? Father, I adore you. I bless you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are so good. I thank you, God, for all of the things that you've allowed me to understand. I thank you, Lord, for all the things that I yet to understand. Adoration. That's a form of prayer. There's, supplica there's declarative. We did the prayer with over the money. That's a declarative prayer. That's a form of prayer. I declare. What are you declaring? According to the word of God, I speak. If you say to this mountain be removed. You have to say something. You have to declare. You have to call forth. You have to call what is not as though it was. That's a declaration. I call forth the destiny over my child's life. I call forth the destiny over my marriage. This is not good. This is what I call forth. You call forth according to the promises. Supplication, it means supply. Supplication is when you're praying for supply, for, for provision, perfectly acceptable. You need supply. Anybody need supply? We all do. That's a type of prayer. Intercession or repentance. It's a type of prayer. Right? Repentance is a type of prayer. There's prayers of repentance. Repentance isn't a punishment. There's prayers of intercession. Intercession is when you stand in the gap. I'm going to pray for Mitch. I'm going to intercede for Mitch. I'm going to intercede for my nation. I'm going to intercede. I'm going to pray on behalf of another. That's the prayer of intercession. Prayer of activation and release. That's exousia. That's what I was talking about earlier, where we just activate and we release. We release the Holy Spirit. That's a prayer. 
See how simple this is? There's listening prayers. We're just communing and you're hearing what God is saying. There's meditative prayers where you're just taking his word and you're meditating upon his word. He'll speak. Prayer's not just speaking. Prayer's listening. There's warfare prayers. There's prayers in tongues. If you're a spirit-filled believer and you pray in tongues, you should pray in tongues. Yeah. Do you know why? The Bible says when you pray in tongues, you pray the perfect will of God. I've seldom prayed a perfect prayer, but when I'm praying in tongues, the Bible says I pray, I pray the perfect will of God. If you don't speak in tongues, well, okay, that's good. But if you do speak in tongues, spirit-filled believers, who told you to stop praying in tongues? In your prayer closet, you should start praying in tongues. Praying in tongues. Fire it up. It's a furnace. The Bible says it's fire. Fire forges. Forge the fire that God has given you. And if you don't pray in tongues, when we do fire starters, come. We'll pray for you. We get people activate and pray in tongues all the time. I line them up. Oh, I, could, I don't think the prayers in tongues, I don't think tongues is for me. I'm like, who told you that? Do you want to speak in tongues? Yes? Okay. It's yours. Multiple people. All the time. Activate. Pray in tongues. All the time. Prayer is a posture. There's prayers of groanings. Prayer is a posture. God's sons and daughters. Say it with me. Jesus, this is for you, Christian, does not recognize, this is important, victim prayers. Why, God? Oh, why? 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 I just don't understand. Why? Why is this happening to me? Why, why, why? Doesn't answer victim prayers. How do I know? Because he told me so. I'll be why, 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 why? Why, wee, 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 why, why? Mm, 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 mm. Listen, I love a pity party just as much as the next person, okay? You know? If we know, we all have issues. And so, but we need to not pray why prayers. We pray what prayers. We pray where prayers. And the reason is, is God doesn't see you as a victim. When you come to him and go, why? Oh, why? He's looking at you going, who are you? Who's this? Gabriel, get over here. Who, who is that? No, that's not my son. No, 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 that's not my son. My son's not a victim. My son's a victor. That's why we come boldly. God does not recognize you as a victim. You stand up. Joshua was a victim. Oh, God, why? Why couldn't we take the city? Why? Read what he said. What's the first words out of his mouth? Stand up, Joshua. Get up. Don't come to me sniveling, crawling on the ground, victimized, you know? You bring me no honor in that. And your kid throws a tantrum in the grocery store. Why can't I have the time of it? Do you get on the microphone and go, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to, you to come to aisle eight and view my wonderful child. That child's not bringing you honor. <laughs> he doesn't recognize victim prayers, so what do we ask? That's why this guy's like, I've been asking God. I had a guy last week, he said, I've been asking God why for four years. And I said, you're never going to get an answer. You're never going to get an answer. He said, God hasn't answered me. And I said, and he won't. You can pray for the next decade. He will never answer you why. You have to ask him what. What did I miss? What went wrong? What did I not see, Lord? You're asking in an entirely different posture than why, oh God, why? That's what we do. We weep at the altar. Oh, God, why? There's no altar, Christian. It's a throne. There's a throne. Don't come to the altar. We come to the throne. We don't come as victims. We come as victors. You made a mistake. Oh, well, get over it. What did I miss? What went wrong here, Lord, that caused this chain reaction? What did I not see, Lord, that made me make, do this decision? What was missing in me? What was I missing inside of myself that caused me to be compelled in this direction? What was going on in my heart that led me down this stray? You were prideful, you were arrogant, and you think you didn't. You, you, you'd be shocked at how he answers these prayers. That's what I told this guy last week. I said, answer, ask him these prayers. 
And watch how he answers you. He's going to ask you almost bullet. Like a bullet he's going to answer you. Why? Echoes. Echoes. Crickets. God doesn't love you. He won't answer because he doesn't answer victim prayers. You're not a victim. You're a victor. You always will be. Assume your rightful position. You're a son and daughter. You're not a victim. Come to your father and ask him, what happened here, Lord? What did I do wrong? What did I miss? What was missing in me? Where was I blind? Where was I arrogant? What is broken in me that compels me in this direction? Let him tell you. You have to be willing to confront your issues, not condemn them. That's another one. So for the next few weeks, we're going to look at how. But the idea of victim prayers and the idea of posture is huge. 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 Look at most prayer meetings. Weeping at the altar. That's not New Testament. That's Old Testament. I'm not saying you don't weep and lament over mistakes and cries and all that other stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But our posture is not beggars. You're not a beggar. We don't beg God to do anything. We don't, it's, we don't understand who we are. We don't understand our inheritance. We don't understand who we're supposed to be. I'm telling you, if you shift the way that you... Some of you are prayer warriors, and you've been praying begging prayers for years, and you haven't seen any answer. Pray victory prayers. Watch him shift. Some of you here, you've been praying why prayers for decades. Never heard an answer. Pray what I just told you. Start asking what. What went wrong? What was missing? What did I do? What mistakes did I made? What did I not see? You know, where was my heart at? You know, start asking that. And he's going to start, you're going to be amazed where the answer comes from. There's no why. It's what. No weeping. No weeping. You can weep over a loss. That's fine. You can lament. You can, be, you can feel sorry for yourself. You know what the Lord told me? I told the Lord, I feel, I feel sorry for myself. He's like, okay, how much time do you need? How much time do you need, Kevin? No, he's, this is how he is. He's like, you need a day? You need a month? You need a month? You need a year? I'll give you a year. You want to feel sorry for yourself for a year? That's fine. But at some point, you're going to have to stop feeling sorry for yourself, and you're going to have to stand up and assume your rightful position, or nothing's going to change. As long as you feel sorry for yourself, God's not moved by compassion. He's moved by faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. Well, if God just sees my need, he's going to be moved with compassion. He already was. He's resurrected. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Faith, compassion is not the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. Just a thought. Anyway. <laughs> All right, we're going to take communion. Yes, buddy, with communion. I just fire hosed you. <laughs> Told you I had to run through this quick. So what we're going to do is Jody's going to pray. Do we have communion out? Yeah, we do. Okay. So what we're going to do, and we're going to, when she plays, I'm going to pray. I'm going to do a little injunction here, and you're going to make your way around and grab the communion element and bring it back to your seat with you, and we'll take it together. And so right now, let's just pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for this time, Lord. We thank you for the relationship that we have with you. We thank you so much that you love us. God, we, I pray that you would bless this time of communion, this time of common union, where we are united, Lord, not, um, uh, based upon you and you alone and our love that we have for you and the love that you have for us. So, Father, I just release that. Now I pray over this time, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So she prays. If you just make your way up and around and grab it and bring it back with you, that would be great. Thank you.